I love this story because I relate to it. And it's what I think the world needs and what I want the world to have. I want the word of God to be presented to them so that they can understand how true it is and come face to face with truth because it is life changing. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So, 2 Kings 22. A new king is on the throne. The last two kings were as bad as it gets. <clears throat> so this, this new king's grandfather was named Manasseh. He is the most evil king in Israel's history. He reigned for 55 years. And at the end of his reign, he repented shortly before his demise. And he started to tear down some of the altars that he built to pagan gods. Uh, but those things were rebuilt by his son, Ammon, who reigned for just a handful of years. And after, <clears throat> after Ammon sort of reinstituted everything that Manasseh repented from, this son and grandson of the two most wicked kings in Israel's history has taken over. And that's where we pick up tonight as we're getting close to the end of the book of 2 Kings. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. Now, just to put that into perspective, this is an eight-year-old who had zero good role models in his house. He's an eight-year-old kid, and he has now become ruler of Israel. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his, father's, of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So of the legacy that David left for this group of kings in the south, Josiah is one who was like David. He was a really good king, even though his predecessors, his father and his grandfather were as evil as it gets. So his story is really interesting, um, and it's probably my favorite in the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. This is my favorite section. Um, it's so fun. So I can't wait for us to really dive into this. So now it came to pass in the 18th year of King, of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, 
um, <clears throat> the scribe, the son of Azalea, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, uh, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house. So, King Josiah is eight years old when he became king. This is 18 years later, so he's 26 years old. And his goal at this point in his reign is he's looking at the temple and it looks kind of run down and beat up. And he says, it's time to restore the temple. And they have raised money to put forth a work effort and he's making sure all of that money goes to the people who are going to repair the temple. Now again, this, <clears throat> this insight is incredible because of who... Josiah was, right? Josiah had no role models in his family. His father and his grandfather were as bad as it gets. And at this point, he doesn't really understand proper worship because he's never experienced it in his life. But there's something in him that wants to serve God. And so he, he wants to repair the temple. And so to carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. He's saying he's picked honest people to work on the temple. So honest, he's not even concerned with record keeping. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, or Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So now you get a little bit of insight into what's been going on in Israel. We just had the two most evil kings in Israel's, or in Judah's history, in the southern kingdom of Judah, but the whole thing is Israel. Two most evil kings in the history. Josiah has no understanding of proper worship, but he wants to fix up the temple because it's going bad. In the temple, he doesn't even know what the difference is between the altars in the temple because there's bunch, a bunch of different pagan temple are altars put in the temple to worship other gods than the Lord God. The temple has been just devastated by what has been gone what has been going on in Judah for a long time. And as they're cleaning it out and restoring the temple, they come across some old documents and they happen to be very important. They are the Torah, the first 5 books of Moses. And Shaphan reads them and what he sees is so important. He knows the king needs to see this. And so they read the books of the law, the books of Moses, to King Josiah. Now, he's already been reigning for 18 years of his 31 years, but now everything gets put into a proper perspective. And Josiah's life is completely changed by the word of God. Which is very fitting to what our desire is as a ministry. 
and even our name, Come to Life Bible Church, is because we want to bring the Bible to life. We want to see people have the Bible come to life in them so that the word can change them. Because Paul tells us in his writings that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is what happens with King Josiah. So as now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. So he was immediately filled with grief because he's understood how bad things have gotten in Judah. So then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so what he's saying is, in the first five books of Moses, it starts out for this, this group of people really well, because God makes a covenant, a covenant with Abraham. And he says that the people will dwell in this land forever. And God makes a covenant with Abraham that all nations will be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. So it starts out pretty good. But then when Moses comes on the scene, God makes a new covenant with Moses now, the covenant with Abraham is still intact, and it's unconditional. But the covenant with Moses is conditional. And it says, if you break my commands, you will be kicked out of the land. They, he understands that they have put themselves in jeopardy based on the word of God. And so he is now seeking God's thoughts. He's asking the priests and the scribes to go to God and to go to Hilkiah, the high priest, to discern God's will and what is going on, because he's in grief over the sin in Judah and how bad it's gotten now that he knows how badly they've broken the law. And so he's seeking God's plan, God's will, God's direction. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Achbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, <clears throat> she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her, and then she said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. So they go to a prophetess, and they inquire of what God says, and God's response is, to Josiah, you're right. God's going to bring judgment on Judah because of how you've acted. Verse 17, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. So it's happening. God's not backing down from the judgment he's proclaimed. Well, this is a constant. We see this in the Old Testament all the time. God proclaims a judgment because of wickedness for unrepentant people. He follows through. Um, and that's part of the end story. That's what Revelation is all about. God's final wrath that is coming 
on the earth. God's judgment is real. It came to Israel, the northern kingdom, in the form of Assyria taking them out. And it is going to come to the southern kingdom. And God's not kidding around. But verse 18. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So God's decree was judgment is coming. But because of Josiah's repentant heart and humility before God, God says, I will not bring judgment while you're king. So as long as you're alive, there will be peace. And you will get to go to the grave peacefully because of your humility and humble heart towards God. Now that interaction sets a wave of action going on in the kingdom of Judah. Because now Josiah is fired up. Now here's the interesting thing. I wonder... If we knew when God's judgment was coming, if we knew for sure that it was coming, even if it was, it's going to come right after we're gone. So we don't have to experience it, but the world we leave is going to experience God's judgment. How would we react? Because this means that people will be lost. But you're safe. Do you act complacent? Or do you go to battle for God and his message? We're going to get to see what Josiah did, which is my favorite thing. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So what does Josiah do? He gathers everybody together and he makes them listen to God's word. He was so affected by it, he knows that the people need to hear it. They need to be brought together to hear God's words. But that's not it. The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out the temple, bring out of the temple of the Lord all of the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So, King Josiah's action, when he knows judgment is on its way, but there's time. There's time for people to repent. 
And what does he do? He teaches the word, he gets the word of God in front of them. Not only does he get the word of God in front of them, he makes a proclamation in front of all of the people that he himself is making a covenant with God to follow God's words and God's commands with everything that he has. And then he backs that up by cleaning out the temple and getting rid of every altar that was built to a pagan god, burns them in front of everyone, and brings, them, brings the ashes out. But he's not done. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah in the high places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out all the wooden images from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside of Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and burned it to ashes, and threw it to ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women have hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. So, on top of all of that, he burned down in all of Judah any altar that was built to a pagan god. He also fired every priest that was involved with a pagan god and every priest that worshipped Yahweh, but not at the temple. Every priest who did the sacrifices and burned incense for the Lord God, Yahweh, but not at the temple, and burned incense and did sacrifices on the high places, which was opposed to the scriptures, he fired all of them, and they weren't ever allowed to work at the temple again, but they were able to receive the gifts to the Levites. So the unleavened bread and the parts of the sacrifices that the Levites were able to eat. So they were able to partake of the food for being a Levite, but they could not practice their priesthood anymore but he's not done. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. So he's making sure that no more can anyone sacrifice their kids to Molech. And he's defiling. He's not just burning down all of the altars to pagan gods. He's defiling them. What that means is he would burn human bones on all of the altars that were built for pagan gods because then they were considered cursed and the pagans could never use them again. So he's going further than anyone ever has in Israel's history because even though those, the altars have been broken down before or torn down before, they were able to be rebuilt, but he is making sure they are cursed so that no one can use them again according to their own rules. Because he's saying the only true worship is the worship of God, and he is only allowing that in Israel. And he does more. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. 
the altars that were on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. That is really brutal language because he is getting rid of all the false worship. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, the Sidonians, for Hamash, the abominations of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So apparently, all of the kings leading up to this point left all of the altars that Solomon built. And Solomon built altars to pagan gods on this mount that they came to call the Mount of Corruption because of what Solomon did during the height of Israel's history. But Josiah is even going back that far and saying, no, this is not allowed. Not in Jerusalem, not outside of Jerusalem, not in my kingdom. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with bones of men. Because he's defiling them to make sure they can never be used again. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down and burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. Who proclaimed these words? Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So Josiah has taken every pagan altar from the temple, torn it down, broke it down, burned it, and defiled it. He's taken every pagan altar in Jerusalem, burned it, and defiled it to make sure it can never be used. Every altar to a pagan god outside of Jerusalem in the kingdom of Judah burned it, pulverized it, and defiled it. And now we're seeing he even goes outside of the kingdom of Judah to the former northern kingdom of Israel where they built false idols outside of his kingdom. He is a bold, he's going into the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria owns this land now, but this used to be the northern kingdom of Israel. And he is so bold, he goes there to destroy because this is God's land still. The covenant with Abraham still exists. And so he doesn't care who owns that land because he knows it belongs to God. It belongs to the descendants of Abraham. So he goes there, and he destroys the altars that Jeroboam built and defiles them. It says, So the men of the city told him, Is it the tomb of the man of God who came forth from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against Bethel? And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So, the, so they let his bones alone, and then the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord God to anger, and he did them according to all their deeds that he had done in Bethel. He executed, executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned bones, men, uh, men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Now, even outside of his kingdom, he's defiling altars, and now he executes false worshipers and false priests of false gods 
and burns their bones on top of the altar so that they're defiled. I mean, he really is on a rampage against anything that opposes God. He is a bold guy. But if you remember, when Jeroboam became king of the northern kingdom of Israel, there was a prophecy. We're going to read it. It's in 1 Kings 13. It's the first two verses. And so this is hundreds of years prior to what's happening right now. This prophecy is written. It says, Behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. That's exactly what Josiah did. That's what we just read. So hundreds of years later, Josiah fulfills this prophecy because he is on fire for God. And with that fire, he sets fire to anything that doesn't worship God. Verse 21 in 2 Kings 23, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book, in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. So this was all done within the same year. And what does Josiah do? After all of this, he gathers the people together in Jerusalem and he has Passover. Passover is so central to Jewish culture and teaching and it is extremely central to the gospel. Passover is that representation of the Messiah. The lamb was slain so that those, those houses that were covered by the blood of the lamb received life instead of death. And Jesus was crucified on Passover. That's why Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. That's why John the Baptist claimed when he looked at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so constantly throughout the Old Testament and throughout history, we're looking at when the people get it right, this is what's highlighted. They go back to Passover. And this Passover apparently is a Passover that was celebrated unlike any before. No king had done something like this before. No king had celebrated Passover like this before. And that's a central event in Josiah's life. Remembering what God did to save his people. Passover. Life instead of death. And that's when we celebrate communion. We do the same thing because communion was served from the Passover dinner. We remember what the Lord did to save us so that we could have life instead of death and we could be rescued from being slaves to sin instead of slaves of Egypt like Passover was. It's the ultimate fulfillment of Passover and that's what they're celebrating. 
Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. That's a big statement, what we just read. There was no king who loved God with everything that he had and served God with everything that he had, like Josiah. Not David, not Solomon in his good years, not Hezekiah. No one served and loved God with the passion and fulfillment that Josiah did. He is a shining example. And he's doing it with impending judgment on the way. Even though he's not going to experience it, he is saving as many as he can along the way and showing who God is to as many people as he can before judgment shows up. I also think it's interesting, this consistent pattern. And we talked about this in our study of Revelation when we were talking about the rapture of the church and the doctrine of the rapture. Because there is this thing that happens over and over in God's word where the righteous seem to be saved from God's judgment. In Josiah's case, he will die before God brings judgment on on him. For others, like Enoch, he was taken. He never died. He was just taken up before judgment was brought on. The man who predicted the judgment, Enoch, was removed before the judgment of the flood. Lot was removed from Sodom and Gomorrah by the angels before God rained down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we see another example of God saying, because of your faithfulness and humility, you will not experience my wrath. And it's interesting that Paul writes that the church is not appointed to wrath, which just for me gives me more belief in the idea of a pre-tribulational rapture. Not saying that I am 100% correct on that, but this pattern seems to be pretty evident in Scripture. And it gives me more faith that that is the blessed hope that Paul is talking about. Moving on. No one's ever been like Josiah. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So God is still, even after all this, God is still bringing judgment, just not on Josiah. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. So what's happening is Assyria has been the big bad wolf, swallowing everything in their way, 
but there's a new sheriff in town called Babylon. And they are really pushing against Assyria's power to be the most powerful in the region. So Assyria, out of an attempt to maintain big dog status, they try to have a, uh, an alliance with Egypt so that they can have two fronts against Babylon to go against them, to make sure that they remain the powerhouse in the region. And Josiah, who's in the middle of all of this, Israel's in the middle of Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. Israel's caught right in the center. He goes to meet with Pharaoh Necho and the king of Assyria to see if he can work out any sort of deal. But on the way, Pharaoh Necho kills him. <clears throat> this, to me, is very dramatic irony. Reading the words of Moses set Josiah on a path to restore worship of God in Israel. And a crowning achievement in that was him performing the greatest Passover in Israel's history, which is remembering their escape from Egypt. But God's, and that was God rescuing Israel from Egypt. But God will not bring judgment on Israel until Josiah is dead. Because he won't bring judgment while Josiah is there. That was his promise. And so interestingly, it's the Pharaoh of Egypt who kills Josiah to bring God's judgment back on Israel and they can be brought into captivity again. And that is, God's a good storyteller. He does it in real life with his people. And now Josiah is gone. And it says, Then his servants moved his body from a chariot from Megiddo, which, by the way, is translated Armageddon. So, what's the final battle in Scripture? Armageddon. It's the final movement of God's judgment. So that's also an interesting parallel here. Brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land of Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king and his father's place. So we're going to stop there. And we'll pick up there as we finish up 2 Kings next week. But Josiah's life is just, it's my favorite part of the historical books. I, I recognize it. I relate to it because I grew up in a home where we didn't go to church and I didn't have a Bible. I did not know any parts of the words of God at all. The first scripture I had ever heard or read was Romans 8.28 when I was just about 16 years old. And hearing the scripture brought me to faith in God, just like it did Josiah. And I hope I can be 5% the man Josiah was in his reverence and servant capabilities and his love and zeal for God and to present God's word to other people like he did. I love this story because I relate to it. And it's what I think the world needs and what I want the world to have.
I want the word of God to be presented to them so that they can understand how true it is and come face to face with truth because it is life-changing and it gives you zeal and purpose unlike anything else. And so I'm just going to close with that. I pray that that is what we're able to do here as a church. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for Josiah. Thank you for his zeal and his passion for you and his willingness to stand against the culture and to just put truth in its face. God, I I pray that we can stand against the grain and go against the grain and be a place that speaks truth regardless of how popular it is. But I do pray that that truth cuts to the heart of those who need to hear it and brings repentant people to you so that we can be saved. I don't know when judgment comes, but I do know that I want as few people to experience it as possible. And so I pray we can have the zeal of Josiah and bring as many people to the saving knowledge of Jesus as we can. We pray in his holy name. Amen.